All right, let's start with a, with a word of prayer in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for today. We are grateful for your help. We thank you for all that you are to us, all you've done for us. We are eternally grateful. Dear Lord, today we want to um, look at personal finance and your word says a lot about faithfulness in finances. And we ask that through this uh, class, through this study, you help us improve in our stewardship of the resources you have given unto us. Let insights come, let understanding come, let the hearts and minds of people be enlightened to know the truth and um, to see where they, are, where they need to make corrections in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Okay, thank you very much. So let's begin. Personal finance. Um, when we talk of personal finance, what we essentially mean is money that belongs to you. All right. So not company finance, not, um, business finance, not church finance, not organization finance, personal finance. So money that comes to you. And what we want to do is look at a, a how to better and improve our finances. All right. So um, this is what we aim to cover today. What we aim to cover today, have a quick introduction and I'll provoke you with some thoughts. Um, second is why personal finance, really? Why do we have to talk about it and discuss it? Thirdly, we want to look at money mindsets, how your mind regulates your money experience. Uh, fourthly, um, want to look at earnings, saving, and multiplying. So what do we need to know about this? Then we'll take questions and we'll look at practical next steps. So just heads up, a bunch of our time will be spent on money mindsets and also um, when we come to saving or keeping money. All right, so we'll spend a lot of time on those areas. Um, okay, let us begin. Introduction, right? Some thoughts to provoke you. Um, I came across this by Jim Rohn. Um, some maybe two or three years ago. And it says money is usually attracted, not pursued. Meaning that, and the way I understood this is, and the way I understand this is, if you are chasing money, then there's something you are doing very, very wrong. Because many times money is attracted. Um, and I'm not going to say it from a mystical sense of view, all right, but from just the sense that there's the same way you have a magnet, that once a magnet comes to the midst of metals, the magnet automatically attract the metals to it you might put plastic within among metals and they not they wouldn't come you might put paper among metals and nothing will happen but when you put um a magnet in the midst of metals then suddenly there is a force that the magnet has all right what we call magnetic force that pulls uh just a minute please that pulls put this on do not all right there's a force that the magnet has what we call magnetic force that pulls the metals towards it and that's usually what happens with money you see and and this this is true even from scriptures right you see that there are some people who for some reason money always just comes to them and you're asking them you are almost asking them like what did you do is it you know like we say it in nigeria is it jazz you did or did you do did they rub your head with something and of course, there is a spiritual dimension to wealth, <laughs> but aside that, there is a there is a, a default setting that these people have that makes it look as though money um, gravitates towards them without without um, without efforts. You know, the Bible says that he who has to he who has more will be given, and to him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. So the same way, 
someone attracts money. That's the person that has, it just seems like more money keeps coming to them. And you can see that, I mean, why we, why we say in the society typically that um, the rich gets richer. All right, it's because there's a mindset, there's a disposition of living, there's something about them that just attracts it. While those who are poor, and please, for the context of this class, when I say poor, I do not mean it in any derogatory way. I do not mean it in any, um, I do not mean to be sarcastic or insulting at all. All right, but this is just the best, best term that I can use to describe the experience. And I'm not describing the personality of people, I'm just describing their. I'm not driving people's destiny, basically. I'm just describing their current state, all right? So poor people on the flips, on the other side, or there are people, right, who repel money. That means money comes to them, but then they repel it. And one of the main ways why, or uh, main ways how people repel money is that they repel the opportunities that bring money. Because when they think of money, what they think of is Naira and Kobo, pounds and, and what's the word? Pounds and what? The other one, all right? Um, dollars and cents, pounds and pence. Please, you can correct me. I'm skipping my mind. But that's, that's the way they think of money typically. Whereas money doesn't come in that way. Money comes in opportunities that don't even look like opportunities, look like challenges and the rest. So this statement, money is usually attracted, not pursued, is very, very true, all right? Um, that there's how you live your life that money will be attracted to you, okay? And I hope that at the end of this, class, we would make the adjustments. <clears throat> Second quote here is um, one by Morgan Housel. Morgan Housel is the author of the book, The Psychology of Money, which I encourage everyone to read about, um, to read rather. And he says, doing well with money has little to do with how smart you are and a lot to do with how you behave. Doing well with money has little to do with how smart you are and a lot to do with how you behave. Let me break this down. You know, you can see, and again, I'm going to use bankers. Please, if you are a banker listening to me, this is not an attack on you. This is just a very common example I see all around. Now you expect that a banker, because a banker works um, with money, deals with money and understands financial systems and all of that, you expect a banker I mean, it could be a commercial banker, an investment banker, a personal banker, whatever it is. You expect a banker to, to be good financially. You expect that they would, a banker would be among the um, richest people just because they work in banking. Or you would expect that a banker should have the best financial um, habits. But from my experience, that is not the case. Many bankers, and this is not all of them, of course, but many bankers don't even know how to handle money, even though they know the systems, they know the, um, the, the science of money, they do not know the art of money. And when it comes to money, money is both science and art. Science in the sense that there are laws and principles and financial models that govern the operation of money, all right? So somebody working in a bank can predict what inflation rate will be, will know how to respond to it, will know, will understand um, uh, uh, debt and finance, debt financing, sorry, and that is the scientific part, right? It's very straightforward. But then there is the art of money, which is more um, psychological than it is um, than it is scientific. And for the most part, this is when you, for those who do well with money are those who understand the art of money, not the science of money. And this is essentially what Morgan Housel was saying. In fact, in the book, he gives a short story, the, the introduction of the book, he gives a short story of, 
and contrast two people. Number one is this guy. Let's call his name Jack. All right, that's not the name he used, but let's call his name Jack. Jack was a was just a common worker. He was not really intelligent in terms of book smart, right? No, 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 intelligent. He wasn't book smart. He wasn't um, very educated. Yes, that's the word. He wasn't very educated. Uh, he worked menial jobs or jobs that weren't necessarily, you know, high-end jobs. But when he died, he left millions of dollars um, for, you know, in charity and for his family and other things. And when he died, people were so surprised that he had so much money because he didn't look like he had anything. And when they, when they dug a little deeper, they found out that this guy, from his little earnings, right, not, not, nothing really fantastic of a job. Um, in fact, at some point he was, at some point he was, uh, what's it called now? At some point, I think he was, if I recall correctly, he was a, a valet. Yes, that's the word. He was a valet and he did several jobs. But all through the time of his working, he had he understood how to behave with money. He understood the principles of saving, investing, compounding your, your, your investments, and all of that. He understood how to live beyond, below his means so that he can accumulate his earnings and, and his investments. And by the time he passed, he had millions in charity to give. Now, on the flip side, <clears throat> there was this other guy. Let's call his name James. Again, that's not his real name, but let's call his name James. James finished from, from Harvard. He had an MBA. He worked at, as an investment banker. He was really, he, he grew to the ranks of, of, to the high ranks of his career. He was doing excellently well. He's the kind of person you look at and you would, he will become your, your, he will give you prayer points. You look at him and say, God, if the God of James, are you not my same God? You know, he's the kind of person that you want to admire. However, he did not understand how to behave with money. And this is very interesting because he worked in the financial sector. And this is what I'm saying, that there are people who work in finance, right, who are investment bankers, who are brokers. You would expect they, they know how to handle personal finance. But I assure you, it is a different ballgame entirely because there's a behavior, there's a character that has to go with finances. And this guy took a, took a huge loan to expand his house that had 11 bathrooms, if I recall well, had two swimming pools. Um, it was a mansion. In fact, when he hosted parties, celebrities would come and they would be relieving their experience in his house. But guess what? He took, he was in debt. It, that house cost about $90,000 to maintain monthly. He was in debt to a tune of several millions. And then the 2008 financial crisis happened. And of course, I mean, whenever financial crisis happen, housing is one of the uh, major areas that are affected. So, of course, his house went down in value. He he lost cash flow. He lost, you know, his job. So there was no more money to pay. He went bankrupt. And by the time he was passing, there was little to nothing to his name. Now, this is a very sharp contrast. One is not educated. The other person is very educated. One um, doesn't have, you know, didn't have a very well-paying job. The other person had the best of jobs you could you could think of, and yet their stories did not go the way you would expect. And this is because doing well with money has little to do with how smart you are, but a lot to do with how you behave. And for this reason, we're going to focus a lot on the mental uh, models and mindset that influenced our action. Okay. All right. So this second quote, third qu th second quote, sorry, third quote is one by Jesus Christ himself in Luke chapter 16, verse 10. He says, if you are faithful in little things, 
you will be faithful in large ones. If you're faithful with little money, you'll be faithful with large money. If you're faithful with um, $100, you'll be faithful with $1,000 and $100,000 and on and on. So faithfulness begins from the little things. This is what I'm trying to bring out. And um, this is to say that if you are not faithful with, let me bring it down to, okay, we're, we're in different, different countries now. So let me say, let me use the dollar for this, for this class as the denomination. If you are not faithful with $10, with the way you spend $10, if you look at $10 as it's just small money, I can do anything I want with it without giving thoughts to it of how you want to spend it, then that will become a part and parcel of your character and personality such that when $1,000 come, you would approach $1,000 with the same mentality you approach a $10 and you will use it the same way and ultimately the result will be the same. So if you are faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. And that is why we need to, you know, when, I, when you see people spend money or the way people approach money or the way people um, respond to money, you want to first deal with what is triggering that response um, before even the external manifestation of it, okay? And this is what we want to talk about um, in this class, you know, and, and we'll talk about a lot more, all right? So I hope you're excited as I am. Um, personally, I'm excited we're having this class because from a Christian standpoint, I've seen a lot of Christians make wrong financial decisions. In fact, when you read the Bible, there's a story of the prophet who died and he left his, his, his wife and children in debt. When I read that, my heart really sinks because this prophet was anointed. This prophet probably ministered to people, healed people, uh, prayed for people's healings, um, was provided spiritual covering and, and counsel to people. But with all his anointing, his finances was in shambles. He had a money problem. And this goes a long way to say that anointing does not substitute the wisdom and the principle and the discipline for finances. You can be anointed and be a, a broke anointed person, not because God wants you to be broke, but because you do not know how money operates. You can be anointed and be in debt. And one of the things that, have, that has made unbelievers insult believers and the name of God is the way is, is around money. If you have to go to meet an unbeliever for money, for your daily bread, and you are begging for money from him, how do you want to preach to the person <coughs> that he should receive the gospel? He will ridicule you. All right. So personally, I'm, I have a lot of sentimental bias towards this topic because um, from a Christian standpoint, if we don't get our finances right, we'll give the enemy and the people of, in the world, right, a room to ridicule us and say, people don't even know what they're talking about. All right. So let us dive in. Um, why personal finance? I'll just give us three reasons why personal finance is very important. Obviously, there are more reasons, but uh, three for us to digest. Number one, there's a statistics done by a report, right, done by Stress in America, a mental health, uh, mental health crisis report. So they did a mental health um, crisis reports, and they wanted to know what is really stressing adults. And this was in the US, but I believe um, this applies even to, this applies generally around the world. And if you're in, in a developing country, the, pro, the, the, statist, the number probably goes higher, all right? 64% of adults, they found out, have stated that money is the major source of stress in their lives. 64% of adults, this is way more than average. And what this means is, if I ask us now, let's even do an honest poll, all right? Maybe we'll do an, an, an anonymous poll 
and say what is one thing that is stressing you the most. It is likely that it will be money directly or something that is correct, connected with money. And it doesn't necessarily mean the absence of money. It could mean the mismanagement of it or just the frustration of how to go about it, all right? So money is an important issue and personal finance is super important because it ultimately affects your health, affects your, your mental health, your physical health, affects your relationship with God, affects so every area of your life, all right? Reason number two, proper financial, proper personal finance management allows you to give full expression to what God has called you to do. There are a lot of people who know what God wants them to do, but they have not been able to express it fully because there's a financial, there's financial limitation. And for the most part, it begins with that personal finance finances. I mean, imagine if God is calling you to, let me, again, let me just use to be a preacher. Let me use that example. God is calling to be a preacher and you're excited. You are fired up. You want to be a preacher. And then you go on preaching and next time, next week you hear that oh your wife and children they don't have food to eat uh or you hear that the house you're living in the roof has just opened and there is no money at hand there is a very high temptation to abandon what god has asked you to do and go and look for money to solve your family needs all right and if you explain to anybody it will be very justifiable so money is super important and, and this is just using preaching as an example but there are several other areas um that paul personal finance management has really impeded people's expression of what God has called them to do. Some of you are in jobs right now that you do not like simply because you have to make money and keep body and soul together. And you've been telling yourself five years for the past five years that I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave. I'm going to work out, you know, a plan to move on to something I really love, but you've not been able to do that because you've not handled finances properly enough for you to take that leap. So this is why we need to talk about personal finance. It's beyond just having money in your pocket or being rich or traveling for vacation. It even boils down to fulfilling your purpose and destiny on earth. So it is an important topic. Reason number three is that you can better understand your money and set achievable goals, all right? Um, one of the things that a lot of people do not do, and um, I many times have to remind myself about this, is to set financial goals. People assume that I'm, as long as money is coming in, I'm fine, okay? Um, but that's not, you're not fine because there's, there's what we call, what is called financial freedom, meaning getting to a point where you don't have to work for you to earn money, all right, where your investment can take care of your living expenses. That is generally what is termed financial freedom. Um, without a proper goal, you will not be able to achieve financial freedom. And without understanding your personal finance, you won't be able to set your um, financial goals, all right? So for these reasons, we want to look at, we want to look at personal uh, finance. Oh, oh, hold on, before we we move, um, I must have. Okay, good. So for these reason, reasons rather, we want to look at personal finance and see how, the things we can do practically that would move us from level one to level two that would take us closer to. Um, our goal or closer to the full expression of what God has prepared for us financially. Again, let me just, before I continue, let me state that everything we're going to discuss is from a godly perspective. Um, even though we, we might not quote scriptures directly, and the reason why we might not have time to do that is, um, is just for time, really. The reason why we're not doing that is for the sake of time. But everything, the principles, the ideas would all um, come from a biblical perspective, all right? They will not in any way contradict scripture. Okay, so let's dive in. Um, 
Money mindset, how your mind regulates your money experience. I know that when we talk of money, the first thing we think about is liquid cash or assets, all right? But actually, it starts from your mindset. And I know that there's there's a lot of, a lot of, um, will I call it abuse or a lot of um, conversation, extra biblical conversations around mindsets, right? Where we have the new new age practice that talks about, oh, taking control, freeing your mind and all of that. No, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, that uh, we should be transformed by the renewal of our minds, meaning everything that, every transformation that occurs would start by the renewal of our minds. In fact, the Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it proceeds the issues of life. If you read other translations, it says, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it proceeds the boundaries of life. So everything you experience on the external starts from a boundary that is placed on the internal. If, and, and I'm, again, please, I say this with all respect, not to spite anyone. Thank God I can't see you. I'm not seeing your faces. So I have the liberty to talk, all right, and say, say what's in what I need to say. If the highest money you've you've earned or you've highest money you've earned for a while is a hundred thousand naira or a thousand dollars, let's say monthly, it is largely because that is how much your mind can contain. The moment you are able to expand your mind, after some time you find out that your your financial experience would expand. Now I said financial experience because it is not only limited to how much you, you earn directly from your work, but the way you perceive opportunities and the rest would expand to accommodate the increase or the um, expansion in your mind, okay? Because your mind is what regulates the, the financial experience in your life. So let's dive deep into this. Like I said, we're going to spend some time on this because it is super, super, super important. And that is the beginning point. Before we talk about savings, budgeting, investment, all of that, let's address your mind. Hmm? So grab a cup of water. If you want to drink coffee, if where you are is cold, all right, grab a cup of coffee. Uh, but this will be a very interesting ride. All right, so I want to talk about blueprints, money blueprints. To understand, before we, we look at the definition, um, just to help understand blueprints, if you want to build a house, okay, um, for instance, this house I'm living in, all right, uh, I what typically happens is an architect designs the house, designs the size of the room, designs where the doors will be, where the windows will be, um, designs the, the height of the house, designs everything, and then makes it available as a blueprint for the civil engineers to use in, in, in erecting the structure. Now, that blueprint is eventually, even though the blueprint is on paper, for instance, that is eventually what would manifest on the outside. So if you go and look at a 25-story building and you admire it and you're like, oh, this building is so great. That is just a manifestation of a blueprint that an architect um, created or a set of architects created. So when you look at someone bringing this home now financially, when you look at your life, all right, financially speaking now, Every experience you have around money is as a result of the money blueprint that is in your mind. And you now ask yourself, where did I get this blueprint? Don't worry, we're getting there. But if you look at someone who, the person does a business, um, if he gets profit from, makes profit from business, and after one year or 18 months, the business goes down. The person starts another business. It does well. After one year, the business goes down. And then the person is wondering, is it my village people? 
And again, because it's a Christian environment, there, of course, there is the spiritual dimension to it. And um, that, is, that is dealt on a different level. However, for the most part, it is usually because of people's money blueprints. If you see someone who, whose salary never reaches the end of the month because it's not the person just, I mean, the money just finishes before the, the next salary comes. It is largely, bec it, largely because there is a blueprint that the person is operating with. And they might not even be conscious about it, all right? Or you see someone who is in the midst of an opportunity, but there is no, never takes advantage of that opportunity. But people around him to his left and to the right are taking advantage of opportunity, but the person just doesn't even know what's going on. Then there's a blueprint that the person is operating with that stops him or her from recognizing and maximizing opportunities. All right, so that is essentially what a money blueprint is. So by definition here, um, your a money blueprint is your preset program or way of being in relation to money. Your preset program and emphasis on the word preset, all right, because most times before we are even conscious of it, we're already manifesting it. So it's a preset program or way of being in relation to money. Your financial blueprints consist of a combination of your thoughts, your feelings, actions, and actions in the arena of money. So your thoughts, for instance, if you see somebody drive a very expensive car, the first thing that comes to your mind is typically a result of your money blueprint. So for instance, you if depending on you know how you grew up and all of that, if you see someone drive a very expensive car, you can look, and maybe let's assume you are waiting, you are under the rain waiting for a bus. You can look at the person and say, all oh, these ungodly people that will just be, that just, they are just very materialistic. That thought you have or that emotion you have and your response towards it is as a result of your money blueprint. Or on the other hand, you can see someone drive an expensive car. You are under the rain waiting for a bus and you look at the person's car and you say, oh, the fact that I've seen this car means mine is coming soon. Again, it's your money blueprint. It's the way you are wired to think about money. If somebody comes and tells you, that I want us going to business partnership, right? Um, you will be able to make 57 million naira within four months. The first thing you say is, uh -uh, are we doing money ritual? If that is your response, then it's your money blueprint. And please don't, don't, I'm not, I'm not judging you. And I'm not pointing any accusing finger. We all have a money blueprint. And we'll, we'll look at the things that influence our blueprints, but all of us have a money blueprint. I, Thankfully, I began to work on this. Now, personally speaking, I began to work on this actively from like 2018. And I had to make a lot of adjustments. And I'm still making adjustments, by the way, um, to my money mindset, all right? Because I, I knew that think something had to change. Okay, so this is your money blueprint. Let me go by it one more time. Your money blueprint is your preset program or way of being in relation to money. Your financial blueprint consists of a combination of your thoughts, feelings, and action in the arena of money. Again, let me just give another example. If every time you see money, you just have an impulse to spend it, it is your money blueprint at work. When money enters your hand, you just think of what movie you want to go and watch, what shoes you want to buy, what um, destination you want to travel to. That's your default thinking, and you just feel, I need to spend this money. If not, my mind will not rest then it's your money blueprint at work. It's not your village people, it's your money blueprint at work, all right? And um, by the way, this concept was, um, I got this concept from um, Hav Eka, the writer of, the author of Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. 
Again, I really encourage everyone to look for that book, buy it, read it, study it, chew it, digest it, all right? It's really changed my own life. Okay, so three ways we are conditioned, all right? Remember, we spoke about money blueprint and um, it's your preset, it's just the default way you think, the default way you think or respond or you feel about money or towards money, towards anything financial. So how, how are we conditioned? All right. And I want us to look at three main ways we are conditioned. Now, before we look at, before, I mean, this is on the screen, but before we, we go into that, just to say that as it is in every other area of our human experience, so also you see it is with money that the bulk of your, of your um, character or your response or disposition towards money is shaped by your early years. Um, psychologists or even teachers tell us that children that um, within the age of within the age of maybe three to age nine is when a child's character, a child's disposition is actually formed. So if you want to change a child or impact a child, then that's the window you really, really have. By the time the child gets to age 10 and above, he has already formed the character. Now, it's not impossible to change, but it's it will, if not consciously attended to, it will become the default way he will live. And if such person, for instance, um, let me say someone is a liar, someone, a, a child, you know, was never corrected or stopped um, from lying. If that child grows up that way from age 10 to even age 50, the child will still keep on lying. Time doesn't change things. It takes our conscious efforts to make things change. All right. And so it is simple financially that the way we are, we are modeled generally was around what we saw or the way we are conditioned to think in finances, in terms of finances, was around what we saw, um, what we heard, or what we experienced. And just the same way a child can have low self-esteem because maybe because of the way his parents you know, treated him when he was a child, it's the same way a child can have inferiority complex when it comes to money because of what he saw his parents do or what he experienced and all of that. So three main ways. Number one is by verbal programming. What did you hear when you grew up, when you when you were growing up? Sorry. Um, let me give some examples and please drop in the chat if this is if you ever experienced this or you know, just drop your own examples. All right. What did you hear around money? Did you hear things like ah, rich people, rich people are all cheats, so don't don't be like them. If you want to be rich, you 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 have to you are corrupt. Rich people, all rich people are corrupt. Did you hear things like that, or did you hear things like? Ah, we cannot afford it though. It's only for rich people. That shoe you want to buy is only rich people that buy it though. Those kind of conditions. And you know what it does for a child is it makes the child think, okay, I do not belong here. So I'll just stay small. Or did you hear things like money? Very common one. Money doesn't go on trees. Don't you want me to buy this shoe? Ah, or do you want to buy this? Don't buy this toy. Ah, do you know how much it costs? Please, so money doesn't grow on trees. And most times they say it to curb waste and tell children. Why are you taking too much milk? Ah, do you think money goes on, grows on trees? And all of those things we hear now forms the way we think about money. Because when a child comes to the world, when you and I came to this world, we did not even know money existed. We're just sucking breast milk and crying up and down and they were changing our pampas. We did not know anything like anything existed about money. But as we stayed with our parents or our guidance or, or the environment in general, all right, um, we began to pick things about money. Our perception about value began to change. And that's why 
You can see if you take two children, one from a rich family, one from not a not so rich family, you take them to a shopping mall. Almost by default, the, rich, the child from the rich family will go and pick the most expensive things, while the child from the not so rich family will go and pick things that are not so expensive. And you just told these children to shop. You didn't tell them there was a limit to their expenses or how much they can spend. Just to tell them to go and shop. And you, you find it so common because that's the way we were modeled. All right. So the way you think about money now, just take a step back or take a step outside yourself and look at the way you're towards money. How do you respond to money currently? It is largely because of one of these three things. Number one being how um, the things you heard, verbal programming. Number two is what you saw modeling, especially with your parents. How did you see your parents handle money? Did you see your parents always mising money and say, counting the number of pieces of meat in the pot and says, ah, there are five pieces of meat. How many are we? We are three. No, remove that to put it for next week. Do you see those kind of things modeled? Did you see um, your parents maybe struggle to make money? And then in your mind, you've associated struggle and money, meaning you've told yourself that for you to make money, you must struggle, you must sweat. And then that naturally makes you gravitate towards hard work that doesn't pay so much. What did you see when you were growing up? This, for the, for the most part, has shaped the way you interpret or relate with money. Or, for instance, did you experience something like this? Maybe you went to meet your mom for money and you wanted to buy um, a new, let's say you wanted to buy biscuits, let's say, or just wanted to buy a snack. I went to meet your mom for money. And your mom says, ah, I don't have money. Go and meet your father. It's your father that has money. And you hear that, you hear that often. What that would do to you is you naturally think that only men have money, that women don't have money. And you grow up thinking that way. And if you are a lady, what this would do to you is that you will not have any aspiration to even make your own money. You will just want to marry a man that has money because you grew up looking at your mom or whoever was your guardian as not having money. Or as a man, what this would do to you if you, if, if you grew up in that kind of setting, you would not be comfortable with women having money around you. So even when you want to marry, you look for somebody that doesn't have money so that you can fulfill the image you, you saw when you were growing up that only men have money. Do you get? So what you see or what you saw when you were growing up has really conditioned the way you think or you respond to money. All right? Um, number three way we are conditioned is through specific incidents. So let's say, for instance, um, you were growing, that, um, what I mean by this is what you experienced, all right? So let's say one day as we were growing up, um, you went to, maybe you guys went to a restaurant, for instance, and in the restaurant, you had a heated debate about money. Sorry, you are, your parents now, not you. Your parents, you saw your parents have a heated debate about money. And in that debate, your dad got so angry or let's say your mom got so angry. Let, let me use the woman now. Your mom got so angry and she said, I don't want again. She threw the food on, on the table and you were just crying. And you, you know that that argument happened because of money. What that would do to you is that you would associate money with um, family conflict. So that when you grow up, you would respond to money in that way. Is either you not want to have too much money, depending on how the argument, um, what the, how the argument went. Let's assume the argument was that there was maybe both parents were rich and they were just arguing about who had more money or something around, you know, what rich people's kind of argument. You may grow up thinking 
I don't want to have so much money so that I will not, you know, my family will not scatter. Or if the argument was because there was not sufficient money, you grew up with a motivation to have so much money so that your family will be intact. And while that sounds like a good motivation, it is a trap because in your mind, you've associated a healthy family with, mo with money. So a lot of money equals healthy family in your eyes. And what you would do is that you will spend a lot of time working and little time with your family that you are working for. And at the end of the day, that's counterproductive. So what you experience really defines how you relate with money, okay? And these are just a few examples um, to buttress the point. So even as we are, as we're, we're, we're talking, right? Think about it again. What was your experience with money, all right? Um, did you have any verbal, you know, programming or modeling or specific incident that has shaped your money experience? I mean, we don't have time yet to take feedback, but we will in due course. Yeah, but just think about it um, very closely. How has your financial experience, all right, while growing up, how has it influenced your your, your, the way you think about money currently. Okay, so let's proceed. I mean, this is not the end. There is hope for you. There is hope for everyone um, after all. Um, the way you grew up is not necessarily the, way, necessarily the way you must remain, okay? So how then do we change our financial conditioning? Very simple, practical, and internal steps. Number one is awareness. Be aware of the wrong conditionings you had well, while growing up. All right, be aware of it. Don't try to put it aside. Don't, don't try to cover it or sugarcoat it. If you know you are a spender, you are an impulse spender, tell yourself the truth that I am an impulse spender. I'm an impulse spender because maybe I saw my dad spend on impulse, or I saw my mom spend on impulse, or the community I, I grew up around, you had to spend on impulse to, to show that you are, you are something, whatever it is, be aware of it. Don't hide it. On, on the flip side, maybe you are more, you are more, tight with tight fisted with money you hardly release money to anyone or for anything even yourself you are you are wearing a shirt that you that is very faded you have money to buy five of those shirts right now but you are not doing so because you'll be modeled that way to think that you must be very uh micey about money all right so be honest with yourself what is your financial conditioning all right that is the first step number two is understanding understand how the way you've been condition is affecting or has affected your money your money relationship so far make that connection all right um understand for instance that the way because i'm an impulse spender i right now do not have as much savings that that uh, as much savings um as i should have or because i do not plan or because I don't even know how to tell people no, right? Maybe that's your own weakness. Maybe I do not know how to tell people no. I've been cheated, I've been duped, and I've had severe financial losses. Make that connection as to how your financial conditioning has affected you so far. Some of you should be millionaires by now if you have just understood your financial conditioning. But again, there is hope. That's not all. So the third step is disassociation. This, this, this Meaning separate yourself, separate your identity from your conditioning. That means the way you have been conditioned is not, doesn't have to be the way you would remain. The way you have been conditioned, right, which for the most part is not necessarily your fault, at least primarily wasn't your fault. You were born into an environment or born into a family and what you saw ar around money in the family was what you naturally picked up. 
So separate your conditioning from your identity so that you don't tell yourself that I am a waster. Yes, you don't, you have not been, you might not have, you might not have been diligent with, um, with the way you spend money, but that shouldn't form your identity, all right? So don't tell yourself that you're a waster or you are a stingy person or you're greedy or whatever, you know, your conditioning is. So separate yourself mentally from it. And then fourth step is <clears throat> make a verbal, make a verbal declaration of your decision, right? The decision is that you've separated your, your identity from your experience, from your conditioning, sorry, and now make a verbal declaration consistently about who you, who you now are. So if you used to spend on impulse, you tell yourself, I am a disciplined person, I budget and I, I keep, keep to my plan or I stay, stick to my plan. All right, so make the declaration. What declaration does, both from a spiritual and even a psychological perspective, right, is that um, spiritually declaration determines, all right, speaking, speaking words are determine your experience. Psychologic, psychologically, speaking out um, declarations make re rewire the way you think, rewire the way your mind works. When you say something over and over and over again, your mind is forced to believe that that is the truth. And it begins to, to process information or process events in light of what you have been saying con consistently. So if you are saying consistently that I'm a disciplined person, I, am, I know how to manage resources, a time will come where your mind is wired to be disciplined and to manage resources, and then you can see the external manifestation. All right. So of course, this doesn't happen in one day, but this is a helpful process that will take effect after some time. All right, so what are some common financial or common faulty money mindsets that a lot of people have? I'll just run through these, um, maybe seven or six of them. Um, just common faulty mindsets that people generally have. And again, remember I said, we are, we are um, starting off with the mind because this is with the control center. Everything, the Bible says, um, out of the heart, right? Um, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, all right? The Bible also says that guard your heart with all diligence for out of it proceeds the issues of life. And like I explained, out of it proceeds the boundaries of life, all right? So before I continue, let me hear from you. What are some faulty money mindsets that you have come across? Or maybe you have even had these mindsets before, um, but what are some of them? Ooh, I don't see it. Okay, good. So let me hear from you before we dive in. Just one one um, mindset that one faulty or one wrong financial mindset that you have come across. Maybe it was a mindset you had to overcome or a mindset you witnessed in other people or a mindset you are currently even sustaining actually. Um, what is that one mindset? Drop it in the comment section quickly and we'll proceed. What is one financial, wrong financial uh, mindset that, that people have? Let me hear from us before. I show you what I have on my slides. So please type it quickly in the chats. Uh, we just have two minutes and we'll continue. Yes, yes, financial mindsets. Um, just type it quickly in the chat. I'm looking out for us. Uh, for those of us on Zoom and on Mixeller, please just drop it in the chat. What is one wrong financial mindset? that you have experienced before. Either you are going through it or you've seen people go through it or uh, you have 
gone through it, all right? Quickly, quickly, one financial mindset. Maybe it's, you've, you've seen it in your friends, uh, your colleagues, in your parents, in your siblings, in, um, in celebrities or, you know, whatever it is. Just one mindset I want to hear for us, from us. Okay. Uh, Mr. Benro says here that money is scarce. So that's the financial wrong financial mindset. Um, I don't know if this is personal or he has witnessed with others, but one wrong financial mindset that people have is that money is scarce. And I really love this, okay, because in, in reality, money is not scarce. Money, there is abundant um, money in the world right now to go around every single person. Money just gravitates towards value. Thank you so much, Mr. Benro, for sharing that. All right, who else is dropping a comment for us? What is one money mind, wrong money mindset you have come across? Um, and you want to share with us quickly. We have less than a minute for this. Less than a minute for this. Um, Mixel, I haven't seen anything from us. What is one wrong mindset that, one wrong money mindset that we have come across? Please type it quickly, quickly, and we will proceed. Okay. All right. So I'm going to wait for, I'm just going to let you guys type it in as I continue. Um, okay. Mr. Imani just dropped one. It says only the rich gets richer. All right. So that's one of the wrong mindsets uh, Mr. Emmanuel has, uh, has identified that only the rich gets richer. And that is not true. All right. It's not only the rich that gets richer. Um, everybody can get rich. All right. People can move from um, poor to rich. Um, of course, the rich typically find it easier to get richer, but that's, they are not the only ones that can get richer. All right. Thank you so much, Mr. Emmanuel. All right. Let's proceed while the rest of us saying in our comments um, on these. Okay, so back to our slides. Um, oh, was there one more comment? Ah, okay, Mr. Gbero added one more. It is difficult to be rich in Nigeria. Ha, ha, ha. That's also a very, very common wrong mindset that people have that it's difficult to be rich in Nigeria. I, I mean, I can tell you for a fact that it is, is, it is, it's not difficult to be rich in Nigeria. Actually, it is probably even easier to be very rich in Nigeria than in many of the developed countries, all right? Um, because Nigeria is a developing country. If you look at any, any developing economy, the fact that it's developing presents enormous possibilities for wealth creation. All right, so let's look at some of them. So I just have a few of them here. And like, you can tell the, um, the list here isn't exhaustive, um, but these just, you know, some of the common ones I wanted to point out. Common faulty mindset number one, um, short-term thinking and playing the short-term game. What this simply means is people making plans and decisions <clears throat> based on short, on or based on short-term, on the short-term only. So, for instance, um, somebody wants to, um, somebody wants to. If I let, let me let me let me let me give a very let me bring it down to a very common example. When we go shopping, for instance. I know this may be dependent on how much money you have available and all of that, but when you go shopping for something that you know you would use consistently, all right, um, it's very easy and tempting to buy a, a sachet of milk that's 100 naira or 150 naira. Now, I do not know what the price is, but it's very tempting to just say, well, let me just buy one sachet because that's all I need now. Um, rather than thinking about how, how, much of, how much milk you need for one month, all right? So one month is a longer time than um, thinking of just that particular instance. And the danger of thinking in short term is that you end up spending more. 
Because when you buy one sachet today, you buy another sachet tomorrow, by the time tomorrow, by the time you accumulate how much you spent in a month, you would have saved a lot if you just bought maybe a, a larger tin of milk or a larger sachet of milk, or you bought a, a bought a carton of milk, all right? You would have saved a lot more if you did that than buying, um, than buying just in units. Now, this is just a minute fractional example of short-term um, versus long-term long thinking. But on a larger scale, when people think only of what will happen this year and they don't plan for what will happen five years from now, 10 years from now, because they just think, oh, that's so far, it's take care of itself. I assure you, time would, as long as Jesus hasn't come yet, and we're still in the world, 10 years from now, we still come. Think about this. When you were in primary school, if someone told you 2022, it sounds very fictional. It sounds like one of those years you hear in, in um, futuristic movies, and they'll say, oh, in the year 2022, we saw dogs flying. That's, that's what you would have thought of um, back in, in primary school, in secondary school. But here we are in 2022. If I tell you, um, okay, let's start planning for, for 2035. That is just 13 years from now. But even it sounds far-fetched. And you're like, 13 years, no, no, no. Let's, let's just enjoy ourselves. But the people that make the best financial decisions are those who consider the long-term effects, all right, the long-term impacts. And if you can think long-term, you'll be able to make better short-term decisions, all right? So that's one common mistake people make. Second mistake, um, sorry, mindset, I mean, um, that's one mindset, wrong mindset people have. Second mindset, faulty mindset is that money is the root of all evil. And they think that for you to be wealthy, you have to be corrupt. That is absolutely not correct. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. The inordinate desire to just want to um, keep accumulating wealth at all costs, that is the root of all evil. But money in, in itself is not the root of all evil. Money is neutral. It takes the disposition or the character of the person that owns it. So if a godly man has money, the money in his hand will be used for godly purposes. If an evil man has money, the money in his hand will be used for evil purposes. So money is not the root of all evil. And you do not have to be wealthy. You do not have to be corrupt, rather, for you to be wealthy. There are a lot of godly people that God has blessed and blessed with finances, and they, they have not lost their alignment with God, all right? So you can be rich and saved. You can be spiritual and influential and wealthy, all right? <clears throat> Number three is, again, another mindset that wrong mindset people have is that um, waiting for things to get better in time without making conscious commitments to financial growth. I'm sure you, if you are Nigerian, you most likely would have heard this statement, it go better, it go better one day, meaning it will be better one day. But that is not, that is hope, but that is not, without action attached to that statement, it will not be true. It's good to be optimistic that things will get better. That is really great. But optimism without action attached to it is an illusion, all right? So just waiting for things to get better. Look, at think about it. You know, one day, my, I, my wife and I went to see, we went, where were we going to? We went to, um, we went to a particular area where she used to live, right? And there was this woman who was selling, I mean, things by the roadside, and my wife said that woman has been there right from when she was in secondary school. And this is over, 
I don't know how many years, maybe 15 years or so ago. And in the same position, in the same state. Now, I'm not saying um, it's bad, of course, I mean, from one angle, you can look at it and say she's consistent, but you want to be consistently growing, all right? And they, I, can, I can say for a large, um, to a large extent that maybe that woman's thinking was that, don't worry, things will get better next year. Things will get better um, two years from now. Things will get better tomorrow. And she kept doing the same thing, expecting that things will get better. But like I said, time in itself doesn't change things. It requires an, a conscious and an intentional effort, injection of effort to make things change and improve. So waiting for your finances to get better, you'll probably be earning the same salary 10 years from now if you do not make conscious efforts. Your money habit will still be the same 10 years from now if you do not make conscious efforts. All right. So wrong mindset number four is if I can pay for it, I can afford it. So someone, someone is earning a hundred and fifty thousand naira salary, and then they go to let's say their friend. Let good example. Their friend is making shoes. He's into shoe business, and their friend comes and says, "Wow, this shoe is very nice." And he says, "Okay, how much is the shoe?" The friend says, "Well, the shoe is fifty. It's just you know they'll add just. It's just fifty thousand naira." And the person just received this guy in question just received his his hundred and fifty thousand naira salary, and he has seen the money in his bank account. And he says, well, it's just 50,000. If I pay 50,000, at least I'll have 100K left. And he goes ahead to pay for it. That is a wrong mindset because the fact you can pay for it, it does not in any way mean you can afford it. If you spend 50,000 out of a 150,000 salary, you spent one third of your salary on shoes. You have not looked at your needs. Your, you've not even done your budget, likely. You've not looked at your needs, your commitments, your, your wants and everything. And then you're spending that. So the fact you can pay for it doesn't mean you can afford it. We all due respect. If your salary is 150,000 naira, you can't afford a shoe of 50,000, except you plan for it. You, you save towards it and say, I'm going to save for the next six months to buy this shoe. But it wouldn't sound like a very reasonable thing for me because why would you spend, spend six months of savings to buy one shoe, all right? A shoe that once you start wearing it, the value automatically depreciates and... It's just a matter of time it goes down, all right? So it doesn't sound like a very smart financial um, decision to make. So with all due respect, to, you are not in the league of those that can buy 50,000 naira shoe. The person that walks to the, to, the, to the shoe stand and just picks the shoe might be earning three times or four times your salary, all right? Don't even compete with that person at all. So the fact you can pay for it doesn't mean you can afford it because once you pay for it, it's costing you something else. It's probably costing you your house rent house rent, costing your car insurance or costing you something that is more valuable than that item. Number five um, common faulty mindset is people think that they do not deserve some level of wealth. And let me tell you, I, I know if I ask you verbally, verbally that, um, do you think you can, do you think, can you hold, handle $10 million? You say, yeah, 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 I won't have $10 million. But deep within your soul, when the opportunity starts coming, you are likely to, I mean, if you've not worked on your mindset now, you are likely to draw back because some people feel, I don't deserve this amount of money. And it's from a quote-unquote self-righteous point of view. The, and and the, the approach some people take is that, ah, some people are perishing or in other countries of the world. There's hunger. Why do I deserve to earn so much money? I just want to have this amount of money and that's okay. Or they just say things like, 
and they sound very pious and humble when they're saying it. They say things like, no, I just want to be able to take care of my family, take care of my children, send my children to school, buy a house, and that's okay. I don't need more money than that. I don't deserve it. That is a terrible mindset to have. In fact, you are a wicked person if you think that way. Because I, if you really believe that there are people perishing, then how else are you going to help those people perishing if you do not have more money? You think by avoiding money, the money you are avoiding will automatically go to them? No, it won't. The only guarantee you have of helping them is that the money comes to you because when the money is in your control, you that have a good heart can now channel the money to the people that need it. But if you say, no, no, I don't want, I, I don't, I don't want more than this. There are people that need more money than me. The money you are rejecting will go to the hand of a wicked person who doesn't have a good intention. And your good intention for resisting the money would eventually become wicked because it has entered his hands. Do you understand what I'm saying? So some people think they don't deserve some level of wealth. And some, from a very condemn, condemning standpoint, they feel, oh, maybe I've wasted so much money in time past. I don't deserve to have more money right now. Whatever the reason is, it is wrong, okay? You deserve more money. If Jesus can pay his price, pay, his, pay the price for your life, I don't think there's any amount of money that is too much for him to entrust into your hand if you have built the right um, mindset. Okay, lastly, wrong mindset or for this is extreme frugality extreme frugality frugality means trying to <clears throat> cut down expenses and you know stay within your means that's the whole idea of frugality but then there's the extreme of it which is people depriving themselves of their necessities and their basic needs because they are trying to save money so for instance somebody refuses to buy food and cook um because the person is trying to save money and then what the person does is just he doesn't eat breakfast and lunch not because he's fasting or anything like that, or is even sick. No, person denies himself food because he's trying to save money. And then what does this person eat at night? Just eat gari and granite. And he does that for three days. Then one day in a week, he eats good food. That extreme frugality is killing your, yourself. And this is a faulty mindset people have. Let me say this here that you don't grow rich by frugality alone. You grow rich by expanding your capacity to earn. You don't grow rich by trying to minimize your expenses because there's, there's really a limit to how low you can go, but there's no limit to how high you can go. Do you get what I'm saying? There's a limit to how much you, if you say you want to minimize your money, you want to save, you want to save, you have to eat food. If not, you will die. You have to buy water. You have to have your bath. You have to go out to the business to, for, um, for, to, for your business or to your place of work. So there really is a limit to how much you can be frugal, but there is no limit to how much you can earn. So the the um, strategy for, for multiplying money or, or growing financially is not just frugality. It's frugality, but at the same time, increasing your, your um, income, okay? And with frugality, many times, or with extreme frugality, many times people are penny-wise and pound-foolish. So meaning they are trying to save on a little cupboard, the little, little amount, but when you look at the big picture, they're actually wasting money. All right. So let's say, for instance, somebody is saying that, um, let's say it takes the person 500 naira to go to work, but the person says, no, you know, I'm not going to, instead of using 500 naira to go to work, I'm going to trek for 15 minutes to that, to a particular bus stop, and then I'll only pay 300 naira from that bus stop to my place of work. And that sounds like, oh, he's saving money. But if you look at it on a broader spectrum, the time the person is spending going, um, spending working, is affecting the person's health. 
if the person likely affecting person's health, if the person is not careful, you end up in a hospital. And these kind of people most likely don't have health insurance because they are trying to save money. And then you have to pay money from his pocket. And all the money he has been saving in those minutes of trekking, he will spend several times more than it to treat himself. So he's not being wise at the end of the day. All right. So extreme frugality is a wrong mindset that a lot of people have. Please enjoy your money. When, when we talk about personal finance management, we're not saying deprive yourself of, of enjoyment. No, 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 not at all. We are saying plan your enjoyment so that when you enjoy, it doesn't affect your finances negatively. Okay, let's proceed. Oh, there's one more. Okay, um, the last one is, is fear. All right, people just want to stay in a safe zone and they don't want to take risks because they are afraid. It's a wrong mindset and wrong approach to health. Okay, um, all right, so let's move on to... So that's, we've talked about the mindsets now, and I really do hope you picked one or two things. Um, I really do hope that you you saw, maybe we were able to point out one thing that you need to adjust or correct in your own mindset. All right, I really do hope that was the case. Now I want us to move into now the external part of it. So mindset dealt with the internal part, all right, uh, which is where everything starts from. But now I want us to move to the external part which will be the expression and manifestation of what we have done internally. Okay, uh, just for a continue, I want to be sure. Um, okay, so someone just, you know, talking about wrong mindsets, one of the wrong mentalities about money is the ideology that those who are extremely rich are fetish. This is not true in all cases. Amazing, I, I mean, before I even looked at this, we spoke about it already. So thank you so much for sharing that. All right. Earning, saving, and multiplying money, what you need to know, okay? So remember again, if I continue that, um, we agreed, you and I agreed, I believe, that today's session will be longer than normal because we really just want to cover some things and deal with them once and for all. And I assure you, this is worth your time. Um, you, if you're going to get this elsewhere, you probably would have to pay for it. So just take it as a free gift from me to you. And then my 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 the way of you my i mean your way of, of telling me thank you is just by staying to the end because i really desire for every one of us to have improvements in our finances amen okay so earning saving and multiplying money so let's first talk about earning all right and i'm, I'm not going to dwell so much on earning money i'm going to dwell more on saving and keeping money but uh, let's just touch earning money a little bit all right so when you talk about any money money broadly speaking there are two ways of doing that. One is by employment, right? And the other is by having a business. Um, so on employment, what you need to do, um, on well, not the only things you need to do, but just a few things I want to highlight on employment. Number one is build competent skills. You know, I, I listened to, I listened to my pastor preach one day and he said something that really, really, really changed my life. And he helped me. It doesn't sound very deep or grand, but that it just came to me. And he said this, that <clears throat> look at the industry you are in. Maybe you are a designer, you are a fashion designer, you're an architect, you are a banker, you are whatever it is. Just look at the industry you are in. Ask yourself, who are the most paid people in this industry? All right. So if from a designer perspective, now, and let me use myself practically, because I'm a product designer, um, from a design, and I used to be, and this was what even made me my grades, all right? Just this simple conversation. And please, I am please, I really want you to do this in your own personal time. 
I'm, I was, I'm a designer and I looked at myself and said, in this design industry, who are the people that earn the most in design? Um, I looked at it from, a, from digital design because that's what I, I, used, I used to do. Um, graphic design, there are graphic designers, there are product designers. Um, then what else? There are visual illustrators and all of that. I looked and said, okay, who are those that earn the most money? And I said, well, looking at it, actually, product designers from my little study, they are the ones that earn the most money um, in the industry. And, and that was the simple, simple thing that I, I looked at and, and I said to myself, if they are the ones that earn the most money, how can I become a product designer? And that was what took me on the journey of learning and learning. Now, I did not just say who earns the most money. There are different astronauts earn a lot of money, but would you become an astronaut all, all of a sudden? No. I'm saying in your area, in your field, the area or the field that you know God has planted you in. Maybe he has planted you in the entertainment sector or he has planted you in the um, business sector, whatever it is. In that sector, who are the people that earn the most money without compromising your faith? I need to add that part. Without compromising your faith, all right? And if you can look at that, ask yourself the next question. What can I do to get the skills that these people have? Give yourself a target, three months, six months, one year, whatever time you need. Give yourself, yourself that target and, and you see that you move into that bracket. Because talking about financial management, let's not be so spiritual and think we don't need to increase our income. You need to increase your income. Because naturally, as you grow in life, your, um, your what's the word now? your um, expenses will increase, your responsibilities will increase. You need to increase your income to accommodate for those things, okay? So that's the first thing, build competent skills. Secondly, you need discipline. Um, not, not only in building skills, but even in, in working, you need discipline. And I think I don't need to emphasize that. And then the last thing I want to say is keep on learning. The more you learn, the more you earn. The more you learn, the more you earn. Okay, so keep learning, keep making improvements in your field. Now, the second way under earning is um, business. And, and again, this is not a business class, so I'm not, I'm not going to dwell much on it, all right? But just a few things to highlight for businesses. And when I thought about this, I thought particularly about people who are just starting businesses or people who are really at, at the early stage of business, all right? Um, first, thing I want to emphasize is that there's a study that has been done and it has proven has been proven that need-driven businesses are typically more profitable. And I'll explain what that means. So businesses that are driven by need, all right, not driven by luxury or not driven by wants. Um, so there's this analogy that is common, all right, the vitamin, vitamin versus, versus painkiller. So for instance, um, medically speaking now, vitamins are good. In fact, if you take vitamins, they will keep you from they will likely keep you from falling sick, okay? But, and that's a very good thing. When you look at the benefits of it, vitamins will keep you from falling sick. Um, you will not need to spend money on, on, on drugs and healthcare because you won't fall sick and all of that. So vitamins are good, but people don't buy a lot of vitamins. However, people buy a lot of painkillers. All right, painkillers mean there is a pain right now and they need something to sedate, sedate that pain. And so they go to look for painkillers and what that tells us about the human nature is that people are likely to spend their money at the time where they need it. So if you can identify needs in your environment, all right, create a business around those needs. 
then you are likely to be very profitable. If you create a business around things that are that is good, but people don't necessarily need it, then you might struggle. It's not impossible, but it might take a while. It might take a lot of culture building for you to thrive. But for a start, to help you with cash flow and to help you with growth, start with need-based business. Look around your area. There's nobody selling. Um, there's nobody selling fruits. You can open a fruit business because there's there's a demand for it. Or there's nobody. There's no car wash in your area. Um, and you see people's cars are dirty every day. Look at do the feasibility studies, open a need-based business. Second thing to, I want to point out is build systems that are independent of you. Typically, when we start off, we start off alone, but when we want to grow, you can't grow alone, all right? You need the help of people. So build a system and then get people to fill in that system and you will grow. Last thing I want to say, which I mentioned before, is um, think big and think long-term. If you are starting a business, okay, so think big, think long-term, but start small and learn fast. So if you're starting a business, you typically want to start small, right? Because you want to learn the environment, you want to learn even strengthen your muscles and all of that, minimize your losses, which is fantastic. Uh, but don't think small, meaning don't just think of, if you start a business in that area, let's say you start a grills, um, open grills business, you're grilling chicken, um, doing fries, you are, you know, something grills, right? Don't just think of your area. You might start with that environment, but think of how you can expand to the next neighborhood, to 10 neighborhoods away, how you can make a franchise out of it. When you, the, the advantage of long-term thinking is that it gives you the perspective to not make mistakes that will come from short-term thinking. Because there are some mistakes you make now that you wouldn't even know is a mistake until you want to expand. And then that thing comes to bite you in the back. But when you already are thinking long-term, you'll be able to spot a potential mistake even now that you are small and you'll be able to avoid it, all right? Okay, so this is it about earning. Let's move on to saving. And this is where I want to spend um, a little more time on, okay? Then here is a quote by Dr. Tayo Oyedeji. Uh, Dr. Tayo is the founder of um, Overwood Capital, all right? Um, and this is the quote he, the statement he made. He says, if you spend all you earn, then money just passed through you. You are not rich. Let me take that again, sorry. Um, if you spend all you earn, oops, sorry, I just, okay. If you spend all you earn, then money just passed through you. You are not rich. So if your salary is 500,000 Naira and every month, you spend 490,000 Naira and you are only able to save 10,000 Naira, then you are, you are not rich. If somebody's salary, if someone's salary is 150,000 Naira and in a month, they are able to limit their expenses to 100,000 Naira and they are able to save 50,000 Naira, that person is richer than the one who is earning 500,000 Naira. Do you understand that? So your riches is not in how much you spend. And this day, this is why we need to understand the psychology of money. That when you look at somebody at the shopping mall and the person spends, let's say, 200,000 on a piece of shirt, your first exclamation is like, wow, this person is rich. But the person might not really be rich. The person might just have the money, but he's not rich. Meaning he might be earning a million naira. So because the, a million comes into his account every month, he can say, I can afford to buy this shirt of 200,000 naira. But at the end of the day, the person's what is left in person's savings is 30,000 Naira. 
that person is not that person is only thirty thousand naira rich. But if somebody else is earning one fifty thousand, he goes to a shop. In fact, you if you will see me in a shop, you see me in Ben Down Select, Eco Market, Second Hand. He's buying shirt for one five two five. That's what he can afford. But at the end of the day, he has fifty thousand naira. That person is richer than the one who was earning a million naira. All right. So that is really why savings is important, and also because it's from savings that you then make investments. You can't, you don't make investments from your expenses. You make investments for money you've been able to put aside and then you want to multiply. So to talk about savings, right? It will be possible. It will be possible to not talk about budgeting. All right. So this is what I want us to talk about next. Because um, when we talk about managing your money, you you have to budget. If not, you will not know when you should save. And you never know how much you can save because you're not budgeting. If you are spending money before you budget, you likely be saving less than you are actually able to save. All right. So let us look at budgeting shortly. Now, there are so many things to say about budgeting, but I just want to look at a very basic and simple principle. Many of us should already know this or might have come across this, but I'll just take my time to explain it a little bit um, for the sake of those who haven't. All right. So there's a budgeting principle that financial advisors typically advise, and it's called the 50-30-20 budgeting, all right? 50-30-20 budgeting. And what that simply means, like you can see from the screen, is 50% of your income should go to needs, 30% of your income should go to wants, and 20% of your income should go to savings. At least 20% of your income should go to savings. Now, this is the generally advised rule, but in some cases, um, the, the percentages may, may differ, all right? So if someone is earning a whole lot more, let's say a young guy is not married, um, working in tech as a developer, is earning, uh, in, earning in dollars, and by the time you convert the money to dollars, you, the guy is earning about $3 million, uh, 3 million naira because he's working for a company in America, right? And they're paying him in dollars. So that kind of person... We don't need, you would probably probably will not need up to 50% of that money for his needs because of the volume he's earning in. Okay. So this is not a hard and fast rule, right? But this is just a guide. And also on the flip side, somebody might be earning really, really little and might not be able to save up to 20% because of the needs that the person has to meet up, um, have to have to keep up to. So um that in that case, the person may save less than 20%, maybe 15% or 10% but by all means you must save. So this is a recommended guide. In some cases, things may fluctuate, but I really advise and encourage us to work around um, this model. So 50% goes to your needs. What are your needs? Um, in fact, before I, I move on to just list your needs here, I was watching a, um, this is on Netflix actually, and we can watch it, um, a, a documentary called Get Smart With Money. Um, it was a very helpful and eye-opening one. So I encourage you to watch it if you, if you are on Netflix. Um, it says get smart with money, right? That's the title. And just basically profile about four people or families and their journey towards money. But my point here is that um, one of the financial advisors stated that there are about three things that got the most money from our income. Number one is housing. Number two is food. Number three is transportation. So if, I can, if you can keep three, these three things on that check, you'll be able to save a lot more money. Number one, housing. That meaning your rent, if you're in a rented apartment um, or your mortgage, if you are, you know, you have a mortgage plan. So housing, number one. Number two is feeding. 
feeding costs a lot of money, especially if you are in a developed city, prices of food are typically higher. Then number three is transportation. So moving to committing to work and back also costs money. All right, and these things all fall under your needs. That's why needs um, account for 50% of your income. So what are your needs? Um, things that you cannot do without. You can't do without a housing, without a house, can't do without transportation to work if you are not working remotely. Um, then we also have bills and utilities. You have to pay for your electricity, pay for your internet, pay for your water, pay for your trash. Those are utilities and they are important. Health insurance is also a need, all right? Now, depending on where you are working or how your work is about is you know structured, some companies offer health insurance and, and that, that's very fantastic if your company does. But for some of you who are working freelance, so you don't even have a company providing health insurance for you. You have to pay for your own health insurance. Um, so in that case, it falls under a need. And then we also have groceries, just to name a few. So groceries, the things you eat, your food, um, your your basic food, basically, your, your toiletries and the rest, these things go under needs. So if you're earning, let's say you're earning 200,000 naira per month. So 50% of your money, meaning 100,000, should be allocated for all of these things. Now, you may or may not need to spend up to that, but um, whatever the case, try to keep it as much as possible under 50%, all right? Then we go to wants. Wants are things that you can do without, but you enjoy them. They don't, if you don't have them, you will not die, all right? But they are important to you. You like them. They are, they are things you desire, all right? And like I said, the aim of financial management is not to deprive you of the necessities or the good things of life, but it's to help you manage them so that you can enjoy the good things without your finances suffering. So 30% of your income should go to wants. So what are examples of your wants? You have travels. For instance, you love traveling every year um, to, a, to a, a new country. You can budget it as under 30% of your income. So every month you put a certain amount towards your travel, or it might not even be outside the country, just might be to the next city or to the neighboring town. <clears throat> that should go under your wants. There's also entertainment, um, going to the movies, going to hang out with friends, um, what your Netflix or Disney or whatever streaming platform you use, these fall under wants. Um, you have your restaurants, eat out. Maybe you go, you decide to eat out once in a month or once in a week, depending on what, how much your finances can accommodate. All of this should go under your wants. And then lastly, your savings, which is 30%. Now, I encourage that you should first set aside your savings before any of before any other thing, all right? Um, but of course, you should know, you should be able to determine how much you can save. Like I said, depending on your income, you might not be able to save 20% if your income is really low, but you must save something. And if your income is high, you can, you can save more than 20%. So please, by all means, save more than 20%. And also there's a third factor you must consider in your saving. If, for instance, you started working late, right? You started getting, let's say you had a delay in getting a job. Maybe you got a job three years after your mates typically have gotten their job. Automatically, you, you, are, you are sort of behind, right? Financially speaking now, not in destiny or anything like that, just by financial calculation, right? You are sort of behind. So if you can afford to save more than 20%, please go ahead and do that. And if you have a goal of uh, being financially free at a particular time, then you might need to send, save more than that 20%, okay? So I'm just saying 20% is the benchmark. You can do more. 
or unfortunately, or hopefully not, you might have to do less in some cases. All right. And your savings covers your investments, all right, money you put aside for investments, your emergency funds, mean, meaning money that you're keeping liquid that you can easily reach out to in case of, of emergency. Also, that will cover your re retirement fund. Again, depending on your country and the company, um, at least for Nigeria, Nigerian company law states that your company should um, should make deductions from your salary uh, before it gets to your hand for your retirement. Okay, that's what they call your pension fund. And also the company matches your pension fund as well or puts a certain amount also in your pension account. So if that's the case, then it, this is likely already deducted from your salary before it gets to you. Okay, and then lastly, if you have debts to pay, please pay your debts and let it be factored in under this um, 20%, all right? Okay, so let's proceed very quick now. Um, try to see how I can round up in the next, in next 20, 25 minutes. So just a few things about budgeting um, as we proceed. Number one, please budget before you, send, you spend. John Maxwell said in one of his books that budgeting is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. Budgeting is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. So, uh, yeah, so you are not confused where your money is going to. Second thing I want to note here is that do not buy what you don't need, please. Some things might be on sale and it's very tempting. Oh, they're giving 40% discount for a shoe. My question is, do you need that shoe? If the answer is no, hold on. Don't be in a hurry to buy because it's 40%. It's on 40% discount. All right, so do not buy what you don't need. Warren Buffett says, says, if you buy what you don't need, soon you will sell what you need. And that's very profound. If you keep buying what you don't need, a time will come where you'll be in a financial situation and you end up selling what you need because you need money, all right? Um, uh, thirdly, sell or give out anything you haven't used in one year. This is my own personal recommendation. If you have clothes, you have shoes, you have um, devices, that you've not used actively for a year, give it out or sell it out. You don't need it. Don't accumulate junk around you, all right? Mentally, it helps you free your mind, but also financially, when you sell, money comes in, or when you give, you are sowing a seed and finance, God will reward you again financially, all right? So please, if you, haven't, if you have things you haven't used in a while, clothes, let me, let me spotlight women here because women tend to have a lot of clothes typically. Look at your clothes, go through your wardrobe, the ones you have not used, give them out or sell them. Or I do, do yard sale and let some money come in, but don't accumulate things that you do not need. Or I mean, this applies to everybody. I just want to spotlight women. Uh, th fourthly here is don't do things to impress people. See, don't do, I, and you know, I live in Lagos um, and I see a lot of people trying to live a fake lifestyle. And not just even, in fact, if you just go online, you'll see a lot of people doing things to impress people that they don't have any connection with. And even if you have connection with people, don't try to impress them. Do things at the pace of your financial capacity. That's, this is how you can accumulate wealth, all right? If at all you ever want to impress them, then impress them with your investments, not your expenses. Don't impress people with how much money, how much money you spent on buying a car. Rather, if you ever even want to impress people, impress people by how much money you have in your investments, not your expenses, all right? Okay, so let's talk about multiplying and this is where we begin to, you know, round up, all right? But let me know if you are, we're all following, please, before I continue. Um, 
If you're following, please drop a comment and say, yes, I'm following Victor. I hear you. I am blessed or something. Let me know you are following me up until this point so that I do not feel I am talking to myself. Let me know you're following me. Drop a comment, please. Let me know I'm not alone. We are going to take pictures, sorry, not pictures. We're going to take questions, forgive me. Um, so you can you can have your question, you know, written down. Um, and we'll take it at the end. But yeah, let me know if you're following me so far. Okay. All right, thank you. I see on Mixella, we are blessed with your teaching. Thank you very much. Um, I see on, on Zoom. Okay, more grace side. And I say amen to that. I'm blessed. I'm with you. Okay, thank you very much. All right. So since you're with me, okay, I'm really blessed. Oh, thank you so much, Mr. Benro. Um, God bless you. Okay, so since you are with me, okay, someone again says on Mixelar, Joyce says, I'm following, Ruth says, I'm with you. Fantastic. We are together. All right, let's proceed. So we're aiming to wrap up in about 20 minutes. So let's see how we can... Uh, maximize that okay remember today is an extended version you know when you're talking about money is a very very critical issue so please pardon me um all right oh emily says i love what you said when um what i love when you said we should impress people with our investment <laughs> thank you very much all right okay so let's proceed now to multiplying money okay so we looked at remember we looked at um Say we looked at earning money, we looked at saving money, and then we, we now are looking at multiplying money. Okay, so multiplying money. There, there are two quotes I I I I find very interesting. All right, and I want to share with us. The first quote is, it um was is is made by Ifoma Udo. By and by the way, she's the CEO of Shikluded. All right, and she says your money works faster than you. Oh, she said this to me personally because she's my uh, money, career, finance mentor, all right? So he said to me, she said, Victor, your money works faster than you. And this was as far back as 2017, 18, uh, thereabouts, I'm not sure what year particular, but 2017 or 18, you know? And she said, Victor, your money works faster than you. And then I was earning, I'll tell, don't worry, I'll tell my salary, I'll, I'll tell you what I was earning. Then I was earning 70,000 Naira per month. And she was talking to me about investments. And I was wondering how am I going to invest from 70,000 naira when I was not living with my parents. I was living, living, I was living in a shared apartment, uh, basically fending for myself. So I had to pay bills. I had to transport myself. I had to feed. How am I going to invest with that kind of salary? But she kept on saying, Victor, your money works faster than you. And that's something I want you to know when it comes to multiplying money. Your money works faster than you. Put your money, when you put your money in investments, you can go to sleep and your money is working. You can go on a vacation and your money is still working. You can be eating rice, watching a movie, your money is working for you. And that's the concept of investment. And that's when we talk about financial independence, where you get to a point where you don't have to work for you to earn money. Your investment can are bringing in enough money to cater for your lifestyle and your basic needs. Okay. And let me just say this, that I do not think it is God's desire for us to continue working to earn money all the days of our lives. Now, you can continue working because you just want to give back or you want to impact the next generation. You are helping younger people and all of that. 
But I think we should all aim, and mo most of us here are young, so I'm saying this as a challenge to all of us right now. Um, I, I think we should all aim, I suggest and I encourage all of us to aim to get to a point where we don't have to work for money to come. We've invested in businesses, investment, invested in um, other investment assets, and the investments are bringing sufficient returns to take care of us. Because one, at one point, you will not be able to work, all right, because of age. Um, in fact, if you work in a government office, there's a limit to, there's an age, an age limit um, to your work. You have to retire at some point. So aim to put your money so it can work for you because your money works faster than you. Second quote I came across is one by Paul Getty. Um, Getty images, you know, like, like if, you, if you know them. And he says, I would rather earn 1% of 100 people's efforts than 100% of my own efforts. Let me take that again. I would rather earn 1% of 100 people's efforts than 100% of my own efforts. And this is the concept of investment, especially diversified investment, that if you are working and working and working alone, you are, you are earning 100% of your own efforts. But the moment you begin to invest in, in different things, in different um opportunities or companies or businesses or whatever the investment is, you are beginning to earn little, little percentages of other people's efforts. And why this is very important is because if all you earn is limited to your own efforts, there's a, there's, there are two strong limitations with that. Number one limitation is you do not have, number one limitation is time. You do not have all the time in the world. There's, there are only 24 hours in a day. So if everything you are earning is limited to your own efforts, then you cannot end beyond 24 hours. Even if you say you want to work for 24 hours, you will not eat, you will not sleep, you will not do anything. If you work for 24 hours, there's a limit to how much you can work because there's only 24 hours in a day. Also, the second limitation is your human strength. There's a limit to human strength. You are not omnipotent. You are not all powerful. There's a limit to how much your efforts, how much energy you can exert. If you say you want to work in the office 24 hours a day so that you can make more money, um, a time is coming where you just likely break down. You probably will not be able to sustain five days doing that. So you need to rest. And that's why you cannot capitalize on only your efforts. This is where investment comes in. You need to invest in companies, invest in businesses, invest in mutual funds, invest in different things that will bring in money without you working or devoting your time to bring to generate that money, all right? Okay, I hope this was clear enough. So let's proceed. Um, some things I want you, to, I want, I would like to highlight about investments. Now, for the for this class, right? I will not necessarily tell you what to invest. Uh, I won't do that because I do not want to come across as giving financial or investment this investment advice because I'm not a licensed investment broker or anything like that. However, what I will do is I want to list out some things to watch out for for any investment opportunity that comes your way or that you're looking at. What are the things you need to look out for, all right? So let me list them out. Number one is to understand your risk appetite. Your risk appetite is the basically is basically referring to the amount of risk you can handle in this season of your life or you can handle at the moment. So what is your risk appetite? How much risk can you tolerate in your life? Some are naturally um, naturally more risky 
or more open to taking risk than other people um, because of their personality and all of that. Um, while others, the phase of life they find themselves they, they find themselves in doesn't give them the allowance to take so much risk. So when you want to understand your risk appetite, there are two things you must consider. Number one, your personality. And number two, the phase of life you are in. And I'll explain this. But let me just give you a little example. Um, using personality now, for instance, when it comes to investments, I have a higher risk appetite than my wife. My wife typically wants to play safe. And I think a lot of women actually um, typically want to play safe. And that's something about their makeup and you know, you know, um, physiology that God, the way God created them, the love safety. Um, but anyways, for, for between I and my wife, I am more open to taking certain kind of risk, right? If my wife takes a risk on level six, I'll probably be taking risk on level eight or nine. Um, because that's just my personality. I just want to try out things. I want to see, like, I'm, I, I can take risk when it comes to money. So this is a personality thing in this case, but it's not only your personality that, it, that, informs your risk appetite. What also will inform your risk appetite is the phase of life you are in. A practical example is this. Let's say you are a young man, you're working in a job, you have a good job or you have a business, you're earning money. Um, you, are, you don't have any responsibilities aside yourself at that point. Let's even say your, your parents are alive and they are doing fine. Both parents are alive. They are, your dad is a CEO of a company. Your mom owns a business and they are both doing fine. Your siblings are working. So there really is no responsibility directly on you. You can afford to take certain risks because if you lose the money, it's just you that will, in fact, it's you that will be affected. Uh, if you lose the money, they'll still pay your next month's salary and you move on with life, all right? Um, there's nobody that will be affected if, if, if you lose your money in, invest, in, in investment. But if, for instance, you are, your case is a different case where you are married now, and marriage is one thing that historically reduces people's risk appetite because there's responsibility. You are married, you have two children, you have school fees to pay. Your um, The amount of risk you'll be willing to take will drastically reduce because you need a lot of security for your family. So let's say this same young guy now gets married and gives birth to two children, for instance. Before he could just take do some businesses, take some risk, but now he has to reduce the amount of risk he takes because they are dependent on him. Um, that he has children, he has a home he has to take care of. All right. So ask, I'm asking you now, you know, do an audit. What season of life are you, and what is your personal, um, your personality like? If you are single, let me tell you something. This is the best time to take certain risks because once you marry, your risk level naturally will reduce. All right. So um, do that assessment and. Determine your risk appetite before you move into any investment. Know how much of risk you can tolerate. What that simply means is how much money can I lose that I will not lose my sleep? If you are doing an investment of 100,000, if you lose 80,000, will you, you lose your sleep? Ha. If the answer is yes, then don't do the investment at all. But if you are in a stage of life that if you lose 80,000 from that 100,000, or in fact, if you lose the whole 100,000, you will not lose your sleep then you, you might begin to consider taking such risk. But this is not the only thing to look at when you want to make an investment, all right? So the number two thing here is, before you make an investment, at least ensure that your principal is secure. 
for a period of time, over a significant period of time. Now, what this means is that the, the ultimate purpose of investment is to increase your money, not reduce it. Now, when it comes to risk, the risk basically means that your money might reduce or your money might not increase. All right, so that is risk. But when you are going into an investment, you want to make sure that at least your principal is secure over a period, all right? And for this to, for you to be sure of this, you want to invest in markets that are regulated, regulated markets, markets that if anything happens, there's a regulatory body, if anything happens to the company you're investing in, there's a regulatory body that can ensure your money doesn't go. They can pay back at least your capital. Um, in, in banks, it, there's, there's what is called um, deposit insurance. There's NDIC, which is National Deposits, something, something, insurance. I don't remember now. But basically what NDIC does is it ensures that if a bank collapses, your deposit in that bank can be paid back to you and you will not be at loss, all right? There's also Security and Exchange Commission. This is for Nigeria now. There's Security and Exchange Commission and many other countries, you know, call it the same thing. But what they do is that they ensure uh, that every invest every investment company is registered under them. And if anything happens to the company, the investor's capital at least is secured. So these kind of companies are good companies to invest in. Um, now, there are certain other informal investments that would have risk, but and you have to find other informal ways of ensuring your capital is secure, all right? Now, there are other kinds of investments that don't, you, there's, there's, it's very difficult to ensure your, the security of your capital. One of such prominent one is stocks. Um, there's no, I mean, there are, there, are, there are few ways to invest to rather to ensure your capital is secure in stocks market. And that's why stocks investment is a very volatile type of investment, okay? And it's also a rewarding one if, if um, things turn out in your favor. So you just want to minimize, in, in cases like stocks, you want to diversify your stock investment. Don't put all your stock investments in one company. Diversify it so that if a company is going down, at least the other company you invested in will be going up or, or will be stable. And not just even in the, in the company, but in the industries as well. Don't only put all your money in tech companies. Put some money in, in agriculture companies, put some in finance companies, put some in entertainment, so that if anything happens in the tech industry, and the companies you invested in are all going down, at least agricultural companies would be going up or would be stable. You understand the drift? But just ensure your capital is secure. Okay, number three is diversify your investment. I already started talking about this. Um, don't put all your eggs in one basket. When it comes to diversification, there are different, way, different ways to look at this. Um, number one way is just in terms of the risk. You want to diversify your risk. So for example, mutual funds is a very low risk investment, meaning that you are almost guaranteed to get your money back, okay? Um, because it, that's, how, that's the way mutual funds work. So you want to put some money in mutual funds, right? Or those kind of stable investments. Um, that's not, not only mutual funds, there is um, bonds as well. There, is, uh, there are some other safe forms of investment. So you want to put your money in those kinds. Then there are other moderate risk investments. Um, Trying to look for an example. So um, debt financing, for instance, could be a moderate risk. 
uh, I hope I'm correct with this now, but it could be moderate risk investment. And then there are other high risk investments like cryptocurrencies, stocks, um, and other things like that. So you want to diversify <clears throat> from the approach of risk also, because you don't want to, all your money to go at the same time. You don't want your money to be exposed to all this, to the same kind of risk, okay? So diversify based on risk. I hope that makes sense. Then secondly, you can diversify, like I explained, based on industries. If you're investing in a particular industry, look for another one to invest in, look for a different one to invest in, so that if one industry goes down, the other one will come up. In fact, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes that um, cast your bread upon many waters. After many days, you see it. It says, give your bread to seven and yes to eight, for you don't know which one will, um, which one will succeed. So there's risk in investment. And sometimes, no matter how hard you pray, um, some, sometimes you might experience losses. So you want to minimize those losses by not putting all your money in one investment. I have made that mistake at least twice now, and I, I, I was burnt, okay? So now I'm learning to you know, diversify and spread it around. Number four, invest in opportunities that give returns equal to or higher than the current if inflation rates. Now, this is a tricky one, but this should be your goal. Um, this might not always be, be possible depending on how high inflation rates gets, but inflation rates, um, let me explain first of all. Inflation rate simply means the rate at which the money loses its value. And currently in Nigeria, our inflation rate is very, very, very high, okay? And what a practical experience of that is where we are, this is November, December is next month, um, a few days from now. And typically people buy a lot of rice in December. The cost of rice now this year is a lot higher than it was last year, almost double or at least 50% more than it was. That is the power of inflation. That means if you had, if you use 10,000 Naira to buy a bag of rice last year, you can't use that same 10,000 Naira to buy a bag of rice this year. So when you are investing, you want to put your investment in, in um, investment vehicles that can give you interest rates that are higher than the current inflation rate. So if, for instance, inflation rate is, is 10%, you want to put your investment in, put your money in investments that can give you higher than 10%. However, the, the issue with this is there are not so many investments. There are not so many investments that can give you this. So you have you might have to look for um, risky or high risk investments for you to beat the inflation rate. Okay, um, but yeah, that's that's unfortunately where we find ourselves. Okay, number five is do not invest in ventures you cannot explain. Listen to me, people of God. If you cannot explain it, don't put your money in it. Somebody comes and tells you, well, I'm doing a business um, around diversification of agricultural tokens. Okay, explain what it means. Then the person begins to sound very ambiguous. Listen, if you cannot explain it, do not invest in it. And why this is important is because if you can understand what you are putting your money into, you will be able to tell the kind of risk that can affect the business that you have put your money into. So if, if someone comes to me and tells me, for instance, um, um, that they want me to invest in their business. They have a, a, they have a bakery business. I want to sit down and understand how the bakery business works. What are the things that makes a bakery to thrive? What are the things that makes a bakery to fail? What are the things that can happen in the 
economy, the macro economy that will affect this person's business. Once I know that, I am, I am more confident in putting my money in that business because I can assess my risk, assess what to do at what point. I can be observing the trends and know when to pull out my money or when to just leave it there. So, but no matter what's right, don't invest in what you cannot explain. Even if your best friend comes to tell you, oh, this investment opportunity, I made, I made 100% from it in two months, calm down. If you cannot explain what they are doing as a business, don't put your money inside of it. Again, I'm speaking from personal experience because this advice I'm giving to you, I neglected it and it eventually cost me, right? <clears throat> so I hope these things are helpful. Okay, number six is, oh, very powerful. Take advantage of compound interest. We are soon wrapping up now. Take advantage of compound interest. I believe many of us already understand what compound interest is, but if you don't, what it simply means is when you make an investment, and you, and you get returns on it, add the returns plus the principal and invest it again and repeat that for a period. After some time, it begins to build up and it goes, it goes exponentially really large. In fact, investors call compound interest the eighth world wonder, the eighth world wonder because of, how, of the power it needs. Now, you might start with a, a thousand naira today and you're compounding it every month. You are getting, if you are getting, 0.5% interest on a thousand naira every month, you'll be amazed by how much you will have in three years. That's the power of compound interest. So look for opportunities that can compound your interest. And typically, mutual funds, you know, give that kind of opportunity. All right. Um, there's one more thing I didn't put here. It just came to my mind, but let me say this. Because I'm saying this specifically because we are in a Nigerian climate, all right? Um, so when it comes to investments, don't put all your money in Naira. Look for dollar-denominated investments or other stable currencies, right? Denominate, investment denominated in other stable currencies and put your money there. And the reason is very simple that the Naira is very volatile. And even if you're not Nigerian, if you're in a country that the currency is very volatile, you want to invest in the currency of uh, in a currency that is more stable than yours. Uh, because you don't want all your investment to be wiped away by inflation, all right? So I thought to mention that. Okay, so uh, we're still wrapping up, but what do you do in times of financial crisis? I put this in particularly because um, for many people, we are in, in a season of financial crisis, whether personally or even as a country or globally, okay? So what do you do to, in seasons of financial crisis? Very quickly, um, before I, I start listing them, let me give you the analogy of a tree. You know, when you look at a tree, a tree goes, goes through seasons and there's a lot we can learn from a tree in every season. For instance, in rainy season, there's a lot of moisture. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of water. So a tree brings a lot of flowers. You look at the flowers, very beautiful, green, yellow, red, amazing flowers, all right? And if the tree produces fruits, then the tree begins to bear fruit in rainy season because there's a lot of, of water, okay? And let water signify money in this context. So the tree bears fruit in, in that season. And what the tree is doing by bearing fruit is, is replicating itself, okay? So when the tree bears fruit, in the fruit of the tree is contained its seed. So let's assume the fruit is not plucked, it falls to the ground. Another tree grows nearby because the parent tree has produce fruit and it has multiplied itself. 
But when it comes to dry season, what happens is that the tree begins to shed off its leaves. Its leaves, its leaves begins to fall. All right, and when you look at the tree, it looks almost dead. It's just its branches straight that are there. What the tree is doing in that season is it is reducing waste because when with leaves comes perspiration. So the tree can the tree loses a lot of water when there are a lot of leaves. So the tree is trying to minimize the loss of water. So it sheds its leaves and only leaves its trunk and branches. Now you might come to the tree and say, ah, this tree is, is, is almost dying. The tree is not dying. The tree is adapting to the season so that it can survive and go through it. And when it goes through that season, rainy season comes again, the leaves you know, come out. So what I'm saying is that when you go through a season of financial crisis, you need to think like a tree. What are the things that are causing me to lose water or lose money? You want to cut those things down and, and um, streamline it to the barest minimum, to the basics. When water comes in, when money comes in, then you can multiply, bear fruits. Remember, bear fruits, that means replicate yourself or replicate your business or replicate your channels of, of income when there's abundance. But then when there's crisis, you want to just reduce your, your, your expenses, to the barest minimum. This, in fact, what I just described is everything that I'm about to show you in the slides. So the first thing I said here is minimize expenses, live by a budget, okay? I've emphasized this so I can move on. The second thing you want to do in a season of crisis is diversify your income. What this means is learn new skills and start new businesses. If you, are, if you have a job, start a side hustle or start another business. If you have a business, increase it, increase, go into other ventures or increase the outlets of your business. Um, but you have to diversify income. And I want to say something about diversifying your skills. In every season of crisis, while some people are crying, some people are smiling. So if you are crying in a season of crisis, that means the skill you have needs to be adjusted so that you can learn the skill of those who are smiling in the season of crisis. Okay, because as much as, for instance, we are crying that in Nigeria, we are saying, oh, the Naira, Naira is falling. Oh, today, dollar is 700, tomorrow is 750, next tomorrow is 800. I have a friend, or I have friends actually, who earn in dollars and they are happy that the dollar, is, that Naira is crashing because their money is just increasing as the Naira crashes. Now, I'm using this as an example, okay, just to say that in every, in every financial crisis, some people are smiling while some people are are crying. What you need to do is to diversify your skills so that you can be in the camp of those that are smiling because every financial crisis presents itself, presents opportunities with it, presents opportunities with it, okay? The same COVID-19 that a lot of people lost their jobs, companies were going down. It was the same COVID-19 I heard of a pilot who just started a hand wash business and a hand, sorry, sanitizer, hand sanitizer business and, and the, he made a lot of money. So it's a good opportunity to do introspection and then diversify your skills. Okay, number three, very closely related, look for the opportunities in crisis. I know that is a tough season, but look for, whether it's a personal crisis or global crisis, look for opportunities in those crises. Again, I repeat, in fact, when they say um, um, there's, there's a housing crisis, all right, let's say in the US, there are people that are looking for opportunities in those crises. In fact, let me use COVID as an example. Because of the financial crisis during COVID, 
the cost of houses really, really went low. That's an opportunity for someone to maybe buy a house or buy a plot of land because at that, for those two years or at least one year, people were not buying a lot of houses or a lot of um, fixed assets because they needed to be liquid. They didn't know how when this was going to end. So they could not put all their money in buying a house. And because of that, the demand for houses reduced. And when demand reduces, um, the price also reduces with it. So in that same moment of crisis was a good time for people to buy houses. And now the price of houses, especially in Nigeria, right? Um, in these Lagos states, right? Price of houses has really, really skyrocketed. So if someone bought a house in 2020, they probably will be selling it for 40% are at least 40 or 50% interest by now. So look for opportunities in crisis. Then number, th number four here is maximize your non-cash assets. So non-cash assets are assets that um, are not liquid. So for instance, your money is an asset, but it's liquid, you can spend it. But non-cash assets, a good example is your house. Um, another example would be your car. Another example could be your could be your computer, you know, or your washing machine. In seasons of financial crisis, you have to be very innovative. If you live alone in a two-bedroom apartment, and in a season of financial crisis, you, you need to look for ways to maximize your, uh, maximize that apartment. For an example of what you can do is give out one of the rooms to for, for rent or for lease or for short, short stay, for, for short stay um, renting. So maybe one week or one month. Let people pay you to stay in that room so you can earn money from it. Um, if you have a car, think of how you can, maybe while driving to work, take some people to work and collect money for, from them or do you know Uber or Tatify. Or if you have a washing machine, look for people that want to wash their clothes, charge them for it and make money from it. But you just have to be creative in a season of financial crisis. And what you need to do, and this is very scriptural, look at what you have, look at your non-cash assets and says, what can I do with what I have? In fact, for some of you, you might need to sell it, sell some of those things. Some of you might have so many clothes and you're in a financial crisis. Sell half of your clothes. You make a lot of money and you stay afloat, all right? So these are a few tips. Let me see. okay, the last one is this. Do not panic. Be patient. Life is cyclical. The financial crisis we're experiencing today is not the first time it's happening. Someone has, a, uh, some years ago, it happened. In fact, Aside even on a global scale, in your personal life, what you are going through financially is not, you're not the first person to go through it. Don't panic. Don't be patient because if you panic, you will make a lot of irrational decisions that will eventually cost you a lot more. So don't panic. Be patient. Life is cyclical. Life goes, life is in seasons. A season will come and everything will be fine. All right. But you just need to know how to adjust to this current season and make the right decisions that will see you through the season till rainy season comes. Okay, I think this should be all. Oh, finally, questions, questions, questions. Wow, I don't even know how much questions we can take considering this is two hours, um, this is about two hours since we started. But let's do it this way. If you do have a question, please type it right away in the chat. Um, we have one more slide and I'll tell you practical things to do from now. But if you have a question, for the sake of time, please um, type it in, on the, in the chat wherever you're, you're joining me from, whether Mixellar or on Zoom. Okay, so please do, do type your questions. Let me, and we will answer them. 
while I while I just conclude on this, okay? All right, so in conclusion, what are practical actionable steps you can take from this conversation? Please remember, type your questions or if you have any questions, don't forget them, write them, type them right away in the chat. I will take, uh, will take those questions. So what are the next like action steps from this thing? You feel pumped up. You are saying, oh, Victor, I was really blessed. I've seen my mistakes. I know what to, I, 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 I know where I've, I've gotten it wrong. So what are some things you can do? Um, already, some of you have identified actionable steps you can take, but these are some of the things I just wanted to highlight for, for you, all right? Okay, so what are actionable steps? Step number one, go and create a budget. Um, today is the 22nd of November. I salaries should start coming in from like 24th, you know, 28th, that kind of thing. Create a budget now. Don't wait for the money to come before you create a budget. Create the budget now that the money hasn't come. Or in fact, if you are like me, you already have a budget template that every day, as every month, rather, as money comes into account, there's already a template for how the money is going. Maybe one or two things will change per month. But for the most part, there's already a template for how much should go to where and all of that. So create that budget and you can use our, use the budget we sent, budget guide we shared, the 50, 30, 20 rule budget. But please create a budget before the money comes in. Money has a mind of its own. Once it comes in, it begins to suggest so many things to you, but a budget will keep you on track. So action step number one is create a budget. Number two, we talked about any skills in your industry. I want you to go about, go, go back rather, identify three top paying skills in your industry. If you are, and, and this is not only for employment, this is also for, for job, uh, for business, sorry. Um, if you're in a business that sells shoes, what are the top paying kind of, or top, top selling kinds of shoes or top selling kind of fashion uh, models that, that make money in, your, in that your fashion industry? Do your research, and look for it. If you are in a, in, a, in a job, look for the top pains. If you're an accountant or you're in finance, who are the kind, who are the finance people that earn the most money? Look for those kind of people and ask yourself, how long will it take me to earn one of these skills or to learn one of these skills? All right. Give yourself a time. Don't tell yourself, I'll just start, I'll just start. Mm -mm. Tell yourself that I will start in December and by March next year, I should be at a proficiency level of six out of level 10. Give yourself that kind of target, all right? So that you can increase and expand your earning capacity. Action step number three is identify one investment you are going to make this week. Now, I intentionally didn't list out investments um, platforms because um, I'm careful about, you know, about, about investment platforms. I, I did this kind of class about two years, is it two years? No, about three years ago, I did a class like this and I listed some investment platforms and four or five of those investment platforms later crashed. All right, so I don't want to be held responsible for your investment decisions, but please go out, identify an investment opportunity and make a take an investment step this week. Today is Tuesday. By Saturday latest, you must have put in money even if it's a hundred naira or one thousand naira or one dollar or a hundred dollars, whatever it is, you must have put in a certain amount of money in investments before the end of this week. So what this means is 
you must go and do your research, go around and ask questions. Where can you invest money and all of that? And then whichever one you're comfortable with, you make a step before the end of this week. Number four and final one here is, are there items you have not used in a while? My, and when I say a while, my, my estimation is one year. If you've not used them within one year, sell them and make money from them because the chances that you use them is very slim. If you don't use something for one year, especially clothes, especially clothes. If you talk of appliances, I may understand, but especially clothes, if you've not used them in a year, then the chance of you using them is really, really slim because our fashion style changes. Some of us, our body, body size changes as well. So if you've not used them in a, in a year, sell them or give them out so that you can have room for newer things to come into your life. All right, so thank you for listening. We'll finally come to the end. Oh, sorry, I just ignore that slide. But yeah, thank you for listening. Um, we have finally come to the end of this um, marathon uh, session. I hope you learned a thing or two. Let me look at, see if we have any question. Um, we have any question. Um, where are we, where are we? This is on Zoom. Okay. Ha. Alayode is asking, she says, um, may I ask about the viable platforms available for investments and how to go about them? Um, like I mentioned earlier, I will not be listing out platforms, right? Just for, uh, because, because we, I'm trying to be safe, basically, just because I'm trying to be safe. All right. Um, so yeah, is there any other question that anyone wants to ask? Uh, Benro, I see, Mr. Benro, I see your message. Okay, I'll, I'll attend to that soon. Um, okay, Taiwo on Mixlr helped me with the meaning of NDIC. It means National Deposit Insurance Corporation. Thank you very much. National Deposit Insurance Corporation. Okay, if there are no questions, um, or maybe the questions are still booting, we can close here and then you can ask questions in the channel. So, let us close with a word of prayer, all right? Um, before I make the remaining announcements, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for teaching us about money, about finances, personal finances, and how to go about um, how, how to go about things like this. Lord, we are grateful. Father, we ask that you help us to be faithful stewards of the resources you are entrusting into our hands that on the day of reckoning, we'll be confident before you to say, this is what we've done with money. And you, in return, say to us, all good and faithful servants come into your rest. Father, we ask that you help us in the name of Jesus Christ. And if there's any negative pattern that has um, attached itself to people financially, we declare that in the name of Jesus Christ, it is broken. We receive the grace to, to go through the process of separating ourselves from those negative patterns we may have inherited in the past. Thank you, Lord, for answered prayers. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen.